Hey there, Duke fans. It is an exciting day. Welcome to episode 144 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. Before I bring in my two partners in crime, I want to, as always, thank our sponsors, the Legal Eagles from Bird Campbell, a pair of former Dukies. They have law offices in Florida and Texas. If you have any legal needs, reach out to them at birdcampbell.com. We'll mention them more later, but before we get to that, we got to talk about UVA, the Blue Devils, with a big victory, and here to help me recap it, talk about it, and look ahead to what's uh, coming up on the schedule, my usual partners in crime in Durham, North Carolina, at Duke, the guy who was at the game last night, Sam Klein. How you doing, Sam? Man, yesterday was vintage Cameron, as they say. It was was rocking and rolling. There was even a point during the game where all the people upstairs stood up. So wow. uh, there you go. If you've, if you've been if you've been lucky enough to attend a Duke men's basketball game in Cameron Indoor Stadium, you know that when the crusties stand up, things have gotten pretty serious. Uh, I, I like that. And and I tell you what, I want us to whatever we do when we talk about the UVA game, do not talk about the crowd, the signs, any of that stuff. Put that aside because we're going to come back to that in a little bit um, uh, after we talk about the game. So don't say that during your game repat, recap. My other guy who was uh, watching this game in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Donald, where were, where were you um, uh, viewing this fine, fine affair? Uh, I was viewing it from one of my favorite uh, watering hole establishments here in D.C., uh, just down the street from where I live. But, Sam, I am over the moon jealous that you were in Cameron and that I was not standing next to you. Yeah. By the way, so I've got a funny story really quick to tell about how I watched the game. So I am... Folks, folks don't know this about me yet, but I am a public address announcer for a high school basketball team um, here in Atlanta. And so uh, occasionally I have to record the Duke games and watch them later because I'm busy announcing the uh, the, the games for the on, Galloway High Jason, School. Jason, yes. I didn't know this. Can you give us? Can you give <laughs> us? Yeah, we a, need background yeah. now. Yeah, yeah I, I, know, I don't the, need the background. I don't need the background because because. I feel like I've gotten to know you well enough to understand that this is definitely on brand for you, but I do want to hear, I can, can we just get like a sample of, of some of the calls? Like, do you have any signature lines, you know, and anything like that? I I do a lot of the stuttering thing. There's several players in the team who have W names. So I go, we'll win for three. (laughs) Like that. Seriously? Yes. So you're like, so you're like, uh, you're like a hype man. I, Oh, Big time, big time. I have a great. And by the way, the team that I call last night, they won. They're fourteen and four now on the season. They're like one of the top ten teams in the state of Georgia, which is like crazy. But but wait. So I brought this up because I was recording the game, and I told everyone around me, "Hey, I'm radio silent. I, I'm not checking messages. I'm not looking at my phone." And there's uh, there's like uh, uh, five minutes left in the basketball game that I'm calling, and. And the athletic director comes up to me at a timeout and he goes, he goes, oh man, Duke's up one with three minutes left. This is a really great game. I can't believe you're not watching it. And I'm like, what the heck? Oh my God. The guy totally <laughs> okay. ruined it. Like, ruined although you it. know what? You know what that tells you though? Like, at least he didn't, at least he didn't come and tell you how it ended. Like telling you that it's a one point game with three minutes left. You're probably like, all right, well, I'm excited to watch. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, but I, I will admit that when I watched the replay, there were a couple times where Duke 
was stretching it out a little bit and i was like oh well we're not gonna <laughs> this is not gonna continue because <laughs> i knew it was gonna be a one-point game with three minutes left but uh, so enough of that preamble we spent enough time talking about how the game was almost ruined for jason he was by the way when i told him that i'd been radio silent he he felt terrible about it um uh, so at least there was some remorse. But uh, Donald, I'm going to go to you first. We're going to save Sam and his observations from the game. Okay. Give me your big takeaways from a, a huge win over the Virginia Cavaliers, a very exciting game, um, really the uh, the RJ and Zion show. That's what it was. Yeah, absolutely on offense. But I want to start with a little thing that I, I noticed during this game. You know, both teams in this game played absurd defense at points of this game and, and really when you look at the stats for this game it's incredible to see that both teams combined only made five three-pointers both teams combined or, or both teams attempted 50 or 51 field goal attempts we're usually at 80 for some games so the pace was way down the pace kind of trended in the favor of uva the style of play trended in the style in the form of uva both teams only had eight turnovers so it wasn't like we were taking a lot of terrible shots or, or, or forcing into turnovers. It was a very clean game, you know, other than the fact that we were going to the free throw line a, a lot. I think in the end, when you look at this game, we had a team, we had a game where one team completely dictated the pace of play. One team played their game and the other team didn't. The other team that didn't won this basketball game. And I think that's kind of, uh, one of those victories that you need uh, going down the stretch when you're when you're looking at the season, we're going to look at this game as a time where Duke was kind of even in the confines of Cameron Indoor Stadium was taken out of their comfort zone a little bit, but still the game was never really in doubt in, in the sense that it wasn't where UVA pulled away a lot. We went up a while and then they came start to trickle back, but you kind of expected that. And with the you know air around Trey Jones, whether he would play or not, obviously we uh, predicted correctly that he was not going to play. But with him being on the bench and and, and just you know in street clothes and, and not available for the game, people were kind of like, okay, well you know UVA is going to take their shots and they're probably going to you know pull away a little bit. We'll probably catch up and it'll be back and forth. This game was you know one of those games where it went back and forth the whole game, and at no point in this game. Did I think it was over until, you know, about two seconds left when I realized that uh, a two point shot could not make up four points. Um, and I, I really attribute that to, you know, a heart, you know, at the heart of this team that they were able to really just, you know, play basketball last night. And, and both teams played great basketball at stretches. Sometimes it was it was a classic case of just, you know, open shots being missed like we've seen before. But this team really, you know found something that I didn't think they had, and that was heart. Um, and that's something that you really need in a champion. I saw that last night in our Blue Devils. Right, I'll, I'll tell you what, go ahead, Jason. really quick. Uh, Donald, I, I wish I had the stat on me. I read it someplace last night, and I meant to write it down. I didn't. I think I read that for 16 of the 20 minutes of the second half, the team that had the ball – it, it, sorry, it was a one, it was one possession game. Like it, it, right. It, it's just – that's just – insane I, I i think i read that the team that had the ball either had a chance to take the lead or um or tie the game up on you know all but about 10 or 12 possessions of the second half which is just crazy crazy 
Yeah. So sorry, Sam, I, I, I interrupted you. Uh, Sam, give us a little bit of stuff. We're going to be going back and forth on this a lot. So yeah, that's go ahead. fine. I, I did want to start. Uh, Donald mentioned the um, <laughs> at the end of the game, he only thought Duke was going to win when they launched when UVA launched a, a two pointer with time expiring. And he was like, oh, I guess we're up by four points. Did you guys happen to notice that the line on this game was, was three, three and, and a half? half. <laughs> oh, yes. oh my so, God. That that two-pointer that, that might not have beaten the buzzer. I'm not no, it sure. Did. Yeah. It did beat the buzzer. I was I, I was paying attention to it because one of my buddies texted me right at the beginning of the game. He's not a he's a college basketball fan, but he's not a Duke fan and he doesn't have any particular Duke animosity or anything. But one of my friends was in Las Vegas yesterday and had had bet on Duke. Uh, at minus three and a half. And he sent me a picture of his ticket and he was like, here you go. Like, let's go Duke. And I said to him, you know, I, you know, Trey Jones is out. I don't know if that's a great line for Duke like that. I, I would have stayed away from this game, et cetera. And, and I especially wasn't taking Duke minus a few points, uh, even, even at home, just because of the circumstances around the game. I said, I don't know, man, I don't know. And and I was watching it right down to the buzzer, and I thought, oh no, UVA is still trying. They're gonna make a shot here at the, at the end, and they're gonna and they're gonna cover. <laughs> they beat it. The um, I, I was paying very close attention to this. The ball was in flight when the buzzer sounded, and then went uh, through so, the hoop after. So so, so wait, this I, bad I have beat to came in after the after the buzzer sounded. I, I have to tell you, so uh, a lot of people know about this. There is a contest on the Duke Basketball Report bulletin boards, the Degenerate Gambler Contest that I run. <laughs> um, and I had bet on UVA. It is the first time in the three years we've been doing this contest that I bet against Duke because I was like three and a half points. I mean, like this game's probably a toss-up without Trey Jones. So I bet on UVA getting three and a half. Um, and I also bet the over. And in the final minute, there were 15 points scored in the final minute to help us get to the over. The over looked like it was not going to happen. And and Virginia covered in a game where it looked like they might not cover. Literally, the final, like, 20 seconds or so saved my bacon in the gambling contest. But, you know, hey, I'll take it. We get a win and I get a cover. I'll, that, that's that's perfectly good, um, if you ask me. Sorry, so, Sam, I interrupted I don't, you. I don't know if this is going to be... I don't know if you guys watch. Sorry, I don't know if you guys watch uh, uh, the, the late uh, Sports oh, Center with Sports Scott Center, Van Pelt. Yeah. Bad beats. I don't know if this is going to be a bad beats, but this is under consideration because I mean, literally, like be. the last point one seconds of the game went from you won your you, you covered no, your, this your, is, uh, your to, this to, is to like losing the, it. This is like the Austin Rivers game in Chapel Hill where UNC led for the entire second half, except after the buzzer sounded. They led for yeah. the duration of the clock. Yep. And yep. then Duke only took the lead after the buzzer sounded. But uh, I'm, I'm sure that they'll that SVP is going to mention this because one, it happened, and and it's like a classic case. But two, it was also a huge game, so right. I'm sure there was a lot of money on this game as a marquee college basketball matchup that happened over the weekend. I did want to leave the the gambling sphere and actually come back and talk about the game, though, if that's if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, uh, there were a couple of yeah, you know, I, we, we might as well. There were a couple of interesting things that I noted from this game that that sort of stood out to me as as Duke making changes uh and and this is I guess the credit to coach K for for updating the game plan without Trey Jones and having those things work let's say effectively enough to beat arguably the best team in the country in in Virginia at least the game was in Cameron of course but but still the toughest opponent that Duke is going to face this year um, on the offensive side, Duke was running a uh, like a much more like weave motion kind of offense that 
is was sort of indicative of of the of like old Duke. Like this was this is the kind of offense that you might have seen Jason Williams and and uh, Shane Battier and Mike Dunleavy running, um, but not something that we've seen in recent years from Duke when when they have guys that are more. Uh, that are more able to like drive and kick that this, this team was moving the ball around the perimeter to try to get Zion or RJ into exactly the right place, at least in the half court offense. And we talked before the game about how Duke doesn't want to get into a half court game with UVA. They managed to, they they had very few fast break points. Um, They had to play from the half court and they still managed to score 72 against a team that notoriously keeps opponents under 70. Um, Hey, Sam, uh, real quick, the, the inf- uh, what you were just talking about, the offense that they were doing, that kind of weave offense. When I was watching it last night, I was noticing it the same way you were. Two times that I remember that particular offense being run for particular players. One was back in 2016 when we had Brandon Ingram, and he would like to come off of that uh, that uh, that screen that you get with the ball uh, and drive to the basket. And also Gerald Henderson uh, back in 2009 yes. in that Maryland game. When he when when they you know hurt Nolan Smith in the very next play, he came and dunked the wife out of the Comcast Center. Yes, I I remember. I was we've talked about that game. I was at that yeah, game. Were I was at, at the game? game as well. Yeah, yeah, we were both at that game. I remember that. Um, that, that one stands out. But no, great point. Uh, th- this is the kind of offense that Duke that Coach K likes to run. Um, we just don't get to see it as much because the composition of the team has not been conducive to that style of offense, and Coach K is not going to. Jim Beheim his way into, you know, shoehorning uh, <laughs> square pegs into round holes or what have you. So that was on offense that was so amazing. And of course, you know, it was it was primarily RJ and Zion doing the scoring, but the ball was was moving around a little more than I think I expected it to. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Duke employed a zone for a good chunk of the second half, which I think they had previewed very lightly in in a couple other games so far this year, but of course hadn't really used extensively. I think this was the first game where Duke extensively went to zone. And primarily, I think it was a result of Marquise Bolden and Javin Delorier both being in foul trouble. Delorier fouled out with five or six minutes left in the game, and Bolden had to play the rest of the game with four fouls and sort of had to be careful, and, and he almost fouled out. Um, the refs were calling were calling this game pretty tight. So Duke had to go into the zone to try to to try to limit the the foul damage and worked pretty well against UVA. The, the UVA offense, of course, is notably um, they're they're slow, but they are very deliberate and they're good at getting the ball into the right places. If you take a look at the shot chart, I know that I think we've we've done this a couple times in games. If you take a look at the shot chart from this game, um, it is I think it's really uh, indicative of of how the game went because UVA has a has a handle of shots that they were taking from sort of just inside the three point line and and outside the paint, kind of the the inefficient two pointer area. They they have a handful of those. Duke took almost no shots in that space. There are there are two that like aren't touching the aren't touching the paint or are outside of the three point line. Now, of course, Duke missed a lot of those three pointers that they took, um, but the the efficiency play from from Duke on defense, uh, forcing Virginia into bad shots was, was evident. And it was impressive that the Duke was able to get Virginia kind of off of its offensive game, because, you know, we talk about the Cavaliers being this great defensive juggernaut. They've been just as efficient on offense as they have on defense the last couple of years. It's just that they play slow. So you assume that, Oh, well, if they play slow or if they only score in the sixties, how could they have such a good offense? They do. They just pick their spots and Duke forced them to pick bad spots last night, just enough to overcome the the bad free throw shooting from the Blue Devils. Well, I, so I think in our preview uh, a few days ago, um, 
Sam, you asked me, hey, how is Duke going to succeed? What are they going to do without Trey Jones? And I said, they're going to be long. And and I think you talked about that 2-3 zone. I think Duke's length. When we were playing that 2-3 zone, the, the the guys up top are all 6-7 with like arms that are just ridiculous. Um, uh, I, I think Duke's length frustrated Virginia. I, I mean, part of Virginia's struggles was they couldn't hit um, three-pointers the way they usually did. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. And and you guys talked about the fact that they only hit three three-pointers the entire game. Um, part of that was Virginia was cold. Part of that was Duke's length um, uh, was contesting those shots and, and making Virginia really, really work for their points. And then, uh, Sam, you just mentioned the, the notion of where Duke was taking their shots. I think Virginia was shocked by the way, Zion and R.J. Barrett were able to get into the lane and finish through contact. There were numerous times where Jack Salt or Salt and Huff, they're the two Virginia big men who who are strong guys. They, these, these are dudes who are, they are used to being the strongest dudes on the floor and not when Zion is in the house. Zion, they would hammer Zion on the arms and he would finish anyway. And, and and this, of course, takes me to the dunk. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, CBS wrote a, wrote a little paragraph about Zion going in the. This was in the first half. I think it was like it was, Duke was leading like twenty to seventeen, something like that. And, and Zion gets the ball and a rebound, and he goes full court. The entire Virginia defense tries to stop him. This is not something where oh he he beat everyone up the floor. Uh, you know, all the Virginia guys are back, and they tried to stop him. And he just crossed them up and went around them. So, and then he he dunks on Huff, and and CBS. I have to read to you what CBS said about this. Williamson tomahawked on Huff so hard that Virginia coach Tony Bennett immediately removed the seven foot one center from the game, presumably so his team staff could make sure that Huff was still alive. <laughs> Look, we didn't do the we didn't do the overly dramatic intro to this show that we did last week when talking about. Uh, Zion's 360 or, or two weeks ago, um, but we just as easily could have because Zion was digging Jay Huff's grave from 10 feet in the air. Oh, Look, that was that was can we, sick. <laughs> can we talk about this? I mean, I, I've 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 talked with Sam about this many times. Uh, when that when that first dunk happened in the Clemson game, the like and one uh, alley oop um, over somebody, and some guy just literally hit his right arm as he dunked it with his right arm anyway. His offhand, by the way, um, we have this thing called retirement. And players are not respecting the the game when they get dunked so hard that they have to retire and they yet they still keep playing. Jay Huff played like seven, like six more minutes after that dunk uh, when he should have just retired from the game of basketball. And I, I, I need teams to understand that when Zion dunks you into a grave, you can't come out of that. There's no coming back and you should just go ahead and find a new career. <laughs> you know, the funny thing was Huff was playing, Huff was in this stretch where he was playing really well. He'd hit a couple <clears throat> field goals. He had a, a really nice block shot. I mean, Huff was playing as well as he can play. And then Zion did that to him. And it's like, he went, okay, I'm not, you know, you, you may be right. He, he still played more in the game after that, but he was a non-factor the rest of the game. Well, you know, um, you, you know, the, the minor storyline here is that Jay Huff is from Durham. So yes. Yeah. He was, he was probably psyched to be playing in Cameron and had a couple of good plays he made he made I think he made a block and then and then had a dunk like right after it so he mm -hmm. was sort of feeling himself and I I looked at one of my friends in the student section while that was all going on and I said 
Zion looks like he's angry and he looks like he's angry at that Huff guy. Um, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to be, I don't know what's going to happen to him the next two minutes, but, but something, something horrible is going to happen to him or his family. And uh, it was him. It was, and it, it was, it was very mean as you, uh, as you guys just said that it wasn't like Duke beat all of those guys down the floor or, or Zion beat all of those guys down the floor. Zion just wove through all of them and finished with his non-dominant hand through another human being. I think the thing that's most surprising about Zion's game is his handle um, his, and his shiftiness, which that's the, to me, that's the part uh, that and the body control, you know, his ability to absorb contact um, and still make baskets. Uh, those are the things that have surprised me the most about his game uh, this season. But uh, I, I want to also talk about RJ Barrett for a minute because um, in a game where we were missing Trey Jones, and so we were not getting the kind of assists that we usually get, we weren't getting the kind of defensive pressure that leads to um, runouts and fast breaks quite in the way we usually get them. Um, Zion and RJ uh, were so they they absolutely showed why they are the two best players in college basketball, and I'm serious about that. They are the two best players in college basketball. Um, they played 79 of the 80 minutes between the two of them. They scored 57 of Duke's 72 points. And in the second half, they made the they made all Duke's baskets except for one. I mean, these two guys absolutely took over the game against the best defensive team in the country. And I, I want to point something out. I was looking at some of the uh, you know the offensive efficiency kind of stats and the such. Do you know that from an adjusted offensive efficiency standpoint, meaning if you look at the quality of the defense that you're playing and you adjust your offensive performance to reflect the fact that you're playing a good or a bad defensive team, from an adjusted offensive efficiency standpoint, this was Duke's best game other than the Kentucky game. Think about that. That You just watched without Trey Jones – you just watched Duke's second best offensive game of the entire season. And wait, what happened in the Kentucky game? They, I think we, we did won something. 100, yeah, we won a lot. Points, 118 to 40 or something Ooh. like that. <laughs> hey, guys, score 40? Right? That was, we allow them to score 40. Yeah. yeah, you know, it was mercy. I, I mentioned that we were going to talk about the crowd and talk about the signs. And so, Sam, I'm going to go to you on this. But first, I have to ask. What do you all think? There was a big sign that was on TV a lot, and I was a little bit like, eh, I don't know. But on the other hand, it's kind of good. That was that called R.J. Barrett the Maple Mamba. Yo, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I saw it. I saw it during game day, and I went to I went to a little bit of college game day yesterday uh, and sat. I wasn't in the crazies area. I was sort of sitting off to the other side so that I could watch the show. And uh, I actually thought Maple Mamba was a great sign. I'm I'm definitely in on it, and I thought that we needed uh, that R.J. Barrett needed something, some kind of nickname. I'm not sure if it if it's the nickname for him, but I, I think it's a very good start. And uh, so, if a Duke student came up with that, you know, good job. I, my favorite sign was the um, was that a uh, ten year challenge UVA rings sign. That was good. Oh too. yeah, that was pretty good. Um, big fan of that. Um, all the references to UMBC were obviously worthwhile uh, because you know it was it, it, it was especially great. I, I think a um, you know, the, uh, this game, I think dropped UVA to a 16 and one record, which I saw mm -hmm. going around on Twitter. So yeah, it's a, it was uh it was a strong day. My only, my only thing about the signs is that 
students, if there are any students who listen to this show, uh, be they undergrads or grad students, please don't hold up signs during the game. We can't see. Um, yeah. <laughs> some of us are already some of us are already severely challenged in the height department and are crammed into the student section and and can barely see the court as it is. Once one of those signs goes up, uh, I, I can't see anything. Um, and they handed out they were handing out these blue like pom pom things to all the they were like tossing them into the grad student section yesterday. So then all the students were then carrying arm extensions and waving them around. And again, I'm like five foot six. I I I can't really see the game anyway. Uh, please, please just put that stuff down. I, I, we, we don't need this mess. Um, so, but the, the, the signs were good. They were very creative. And I was, uh, I was happy that we did a good job with college game day in town. I like the, uh, the one that we had back, uh, the one that we saw during the Clemson game, the grin, and it was a picture of RJ Barrett. Um, yeah, that one, that one reappeared yesterday. That one reappeared. Grin I was, I was happy to see that one again. Grin and, grin and Barrett. Um, but I, I'm in on the Maple Mamba. I don't know. Like you, Sam, I don't know if it's his. If we could call him that, um, we might need to get permission from Kobe oh, Bryant. Wait, but hold on. Uh oh. Very important. Um, somebody had a block a dial Dundee sign at the game yesterday. Oh, I saw oh no! I saw it, and oh. uh, and I am submitting. I am submitting some trademark violation for that uh, <laughs> because I I said that at least a week ago on the show, maybe two weeks ago. So uh, whoever had so whoever whoever is, had. Listening. Whoever had the block a dial Dundee sign, um, you owe me, dude or lady or whatever. Well, Sam, <laughs> imitation is the most is the sincerest form of flattery. So the fact that they the fact that they stole it from you means that they liked it and they thought it was good. The only we'll, get thing to, I'll say about- we'll get to sincere imitation in my parting shot. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only thing uh, about Maple Mamba to me is I, I don't want to think of RJ as the next Kobe Bryant. I mean that incredibly flattering and i'm sure he he would take that career but he's the first rj barrett um and i know that's sort of trite and obvious and you know everybody says that kind of stuff but i don't need rj barrett i think is going to be enough of a player that he can get his own name that is half you know uh, an homage to uh to kobe bryant um and 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 we still need a good nickname for zion although Although the human flying tractor is a little, <laughs> the flying bulldozer, I mean, is, is pretty good. So anyway. This edition of the DBR podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell with law offices in Florida and Texas. We want to thank Bird Campbell for being sponsors of the podcast. And if you want to reach out to them, you can do it at their website, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L, birdcampbell.com. Okay, guys, so we, uh, we dispense with Virginia, and um, Duke has uh, a big week coming up. We're going to extend the week uh, from seven days to eight days to talk about three upcoming opponents. The, the Blue Devils will be facing on uh, Tuesday. We have the Pitt Panthers. We travel um, our third uh, ACC road game as we go up to face Pitt, and uh, former Duke coach Capel is going to be on the sidelines there for Pitt. And Pitt is a surprising team. Um, They are way, way, way better than anyone expected them to be. I think Capel perhaps is in the running for ACC Coach of the Year with the job he's doing. Uh, Donald, give me your your assessment of of the game against Pitt. You know, this is going to be one of those games that uh, Pitt normally plays as pretty tough. Um, 
especially at home. Um, in it, those games are usually those uh games that we are, are closer than we would like. Uh, but when it comes to this game, obviously the storyline is the major major factor here, right? With with Jeff Capel uh coaching against Duke for the first time since he took over at Pitt. Um, but I think that is going to motivate his players to want to play their tails off for their new coach. Um, you know, Coach you know, Capel's not just going to sit there and say, all right, Duke, come on in. Uh, we'll shake hands with Coach K and, you know, have, exchange a hug and all the guys, and and then you guys can beat us by 40. Uh, that's not going to happen uh, on Tuesday night. I think this is going to be one of those games where um, we can shoot them out of the game. But if we are uh, – are, you know, if, if we're one of those teams that we have been lately that has been kind of cold from beyond the arc, we're going to have to get the ball inside. And I think inside is where we still have an advantage, especially with Zion and RJ, uh, you know, taking care of things. So if we can kind of take care of the ball um, like we did against UVA, if we can kind of play the similar style of play um, where we're getting the ball inside and, and not really taking those, uh, you know, 15 to 20 footers that aren't three pointers, um, and really limiting what we do efficient on offense. Uh, I think we're going to be okay in this game. And, and here's the, here's the question. And, and I think it's going to be the question for these three games this week. Will we see Trey Jones? Um, I'm not certain that we'll see him against Pitt on Tuesday. Um, I think he is progressing fast, but I don't think they're going to want to rush him back. Um, it may be where uh, another full week off um, and, he, and we see him against Georgia tech or Notre Dame. Um, especially if Georgia Tech, I'm pretty sure Georgia Tech is that game at home, correct? Uh, yes, yeah, Georgia yes, the Georgia Tech game is is not in Atlanta. Georgia yeah, so I got a bunch of fans coming in for that. Right, so I think that's the game, right? I think that we won't see him against Pitt, um, and and that means that we're going to see a similar lineup that we did against UVA with RJ, uh, sometimes Cam Reddish, and even sometimes Zion bringing the ball up uh, and having more of a employing more of a bigger lineup. I think Goldwire may see some uh, time in this game. Uh, but not nearly as much as we would see uh, uh, another backup point guard. So uh, expect to see the similar lineup and expect to see a team that's going to uh, really dominate inside the paint and and take it to the Pitt Panthers. So, I, I mean, the thing about Pitt is, and this is what's impressive that, that Capel's been able to do it in one year, um, they're actually a really good defensive team. They're one of the top 25 best defensive teams in the country. Uh, and, and, you know, full credit to, to Jeff Capel for, for turning these, you know, very young team with a brand new coach, um, you know, trying to figure it out and, and full credit to, to Capel for, for turning them into a really good defensive team. Um, I, I'm trying to look really quick. I, they are, they're like almost exclusively freshmen and sophomores. Ah, they got, eh, they got one senior, but anyway, you know, they hang their hat on defense and unfortunately for Pitt, I, I feel like, Duke is the kind of team that it's just really hard to be good at defense against Duke. I mean, we just saw what happened with UVA. It's almost impossible to keep RJ and Zion from getting to the rim. And um, Pitt is is not a team that that blocks shots really well. So I think it's just going to be really, really tough for them to, uh, to, to keep Duke from the rim. And then the other thing Pitt doesn't do very well is they're not a great defensive rebounding team. Um, they're in. Uh, they're 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 ranked outside the top 300 in defensive rebounding percentage, and that could be a big problem against Duke because Duke is a very good offensive rebounding team. Um, so I I I 
I think it's a, this is a really, really tough game for Pitt. They're going to have to do sort of the way, look, when Syracuse beat Duke, Syracuse didn't play the way Syracuse has in every other game this season. Syracuse was a way better offensive team, way better shooting team than they have been in any game this year. Um, I think for Pitt to, to beat Duke, something like that's going to have to happen. Pitt's going to have to do something that we haven't seen them do all year. And that's sort of their chance in this game. If if we get a even moderately normal pit team that shows up, Duke, I think, is still going to win fairly comfortably. Hey, hey Donald, I, I'm I'm sorry, Sam. I'm going to go to you now for the next team. We're we're playing Georgia Tech you, on on uh, over the weekend on Saturday um, in Durham. Uh, you say you've got friends coming in town for that game. Give me a little preview of uh, of Georgia Tech. What do you what do you think about the Yellow Jackets? Georgia Tech is not having a strong season. Um, Duke, Duke is pretty lucky that they, they made it past this UVA game, which was uh, obviously a very tough opponent um, because now they have a few games that are against not as good opponents, as <laughs> at least as UVA. Um, so we, we talked about Pittsburgh um, being an interesting kind of road matchup with the, with the whole Jeff Capel storyline. Um, Georgia Tech doesn't really have an interesting storyline. They're 85th in Ken Palm this year. They've got... Um, a slew of losses, uh, the worst of which is against Gardner Webb. Um, but they've lost to some of their local rivals like Tennessee and Georgia. Tennessee, of course, is one of the strongest teams in the country. And and Georgia Tech got blown out yesterday um, by Louisville, and that was in Atlanta. So uh, it, it's it's not <laughs> things are not going well for Georgia Tech this season. I expect um, whether or not Trey Jones is back for that game, the the team that we saw yesterday against UVA shouldn't really have much of a problem um, competing with, with Georgia tech, especially with the game in Cameron. I think they'll probably be uh, a bit overwhelmed. They don't have, they don't have big star power or anything. Um, so uh, not anything specific that I'm looking for, um, but uh, just, just kind of keeping it rolling. I, I wouldn't be surprised perhaps if we see, you know, if Trey Jones is feeling good, maybe we see him in limited minutes to try to reintegrate him, but um, not, the kind of game where Duke is going to need to uh, go all out to beat the Yellow Jackets at home when Georgia Tech isn't even looking like a NCAA tournament team this season. Yeah, and uh, so here are a couple of things to note about Georgia Tech. Um, they're not a good three-point shooting team. They hit less than 30% of their threes. Um, they are a bad turnover team. They average like close to 21 turnovers uh, a game, which is, uh, sorry, uh, 21% um, of their possessions, almost one in five possessions. Uh, end up with a turnover, which is, um, you know, a, a, a big problem against Duke. Um, and uh, Tech is probably the thing that Tech does best is they're good at three-point field goal percentage defense. They're really good at stopping teams from hitting threes. Uh, that's that's not the formula for beating Duke. Duke doesn't care about hitting threes. If they hit threes, it's a bonus. Um, so I think Tech uh, is... Uh, is in real trouble in this game. And and Josh Pastner, who's a friend of the podcast, uh, a guy that I've spoken to on a few occasions and who came on our show and talked to us at one point, um, he I, I still vividly remember when we interviewed him last season, he talked about they need to get old. You know, they they he, he needed uh, players to be in the program for a long time and um, and to really develop uh, as a as a team and that, that his success would be in years when he had lots of juniors and seniors on his team. Um, and uh, of of the top, you know, seven, eight guys on his team, he's got one junior and one senior. So Tech has not gotten old yet. Um, and uh, and as a result, I think they're they're not good. And they're they're in a really bad stretch right now. You mentioned that Louisville game 
where they lost by 28 points at home. Uh, they they lost to Clemson by double digits just the day before, uh, you know, a few days before that. Um, they they don't look good at all. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, it looks like Tech and Wake Forest are sort of battling for the bottom of the ACC um, and Boston College also. So, um, hey, and we're playing be... Boston College pretty soon, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I don't I don't see us having <laughs> much trouble against Georgia Tech. So that's two. The last of them um, next Monday, um, and because it comes literally, you know, Georgia Tech on Saturday and then the game on Monday, we're stretching it all to make it into one week of of broadcasts um, for you folks. We're going to preview the Notre Dame game. Duke goes up to Notre Dame um, uh, on Big Monday. Uh, We know, uh, you know, when you're a when you're Duke, when you're highly, highly ranked and you're at Notre Dame, that's. That's sort of Notre Dame's wheelhouse. <laughs> the the Fighting Irish love those kind of games. They always seem to rise to the occasion. Um, guys, I'll toss it to both of you. I don't know which one of you wants to take the lead on on Notre Dame and, and tell us a little bit about what we should expect in that contest. Well, first of all, I, I, we have to make this stat known. This will be the first game that Duke has played against Notre Dame in 75 years. Bonzi Coldson will not be on the floor. Um, <laughs> like uh, uh, he's finally graduated and exhausted his 75 years of eligibility and will not be playing on Monday. Um, but uh, it's weird. This game uh, in all seriousness, this game is interesting because like you said, Jason, we normally don't do well in South Bend um, against the fighting Irish. Uh, but this year, the fighting Irish team that we will see is, is a, almost a shell of itself compared to teams we've seen in years past that have competed for ACC titles. Uh, they've had a pretty tough week this past week. They lost uh, to you and at UNC and then against NC state. Um, but they, the they UNC had a game, couple... by the way, the UNC game, very, very competitive. Like they look right. good in that game. Yeah. And, and the thing about their team is they're always going to be scrappy, right? Like Mike Bray is not going to uh, feel the team that's going to lay over and die on anybody. And they haven't, you know, all their losses, if you look at them, they're, they're not by that much. There's only been a couple games where the game kind of got away from them. Uh, but it's really just execution that, that has been their problem uh, so far this season. Now, against them, you know, this is going to be one of those games. Again, we're going to have a game on Saturday and then a game on Monday. Um, one where we are uh, traveling um, to uh, South Bend instead of staying at home uh, after that Saturday. So not only do we have to contend with the uh you know playing a game on saturday we also have to contend with flying to south bend and then turning it around 48 hours later and playing against the fighting irish so that's going to be a a game where i think it's going to be a little bit sloppy um but it's going to be one where again if trey jones is back i think we will have a much better time against the fighting irish with regards to our defense uh obviously that is a that is not something that should be a surprise to anybody but especially uh with the defense uh with the fighting irish come up against a tough defense they like to kind of wilt a little bit down the stretch and that's really where we're going to have them um and, and it's not going to be a game where i think is going to be uh particularly close but it's going to be one that until the final minutes is going to be something that we're going to have to you know play our a game uh and and if we can do that against the fighting irish uh, with with this team, they don't have a lot of great scorers. They have a, you know a couple guys that you may have heard of, like John Mooney. Uh, but I think in the end, we have the talent to outmatch them. We just have to go out and do it. 
the uh, tough I'll... thing in this game is that uh, it's it's one of the few this season where Duke is going to have a somewhat tight turnaround. They play Saturday afternoon against Georgia Tech here in Cameron and then have to fly up to South Bend, so they're not going to have a lot of time to to change anything up. Uh, I doubt, for example, if again, if we're going back to reintegrating Trey Jones, I doubt that you're going to see his minutes significantly increase from the Georgia Tech game to the Notre Dame game. Right. Um, so uh, be on the lookout for that, I guess. And then, and maybe there, um, there could be a bit of a fatigue issue um, just because they're going on the road on a, on a quick turnaround. So, uh, so really quick about Notre Dame, two things I want to point out. The first one is uh, to some extent, they're the opposite of Georgia Tech in that they're a team that holds onto the ball really well. They do not commit turnovers, which, you know, Duke thrives off of that. So, uh, you know, if we if we turn Notre Dame over at all, they're in huge trouble because Notre Dame they're just not good enough at, at other things to be able to, to afford to commit turnovers. And then the other thing is, it is definitely worth noting, um, uh, you know, Duke's on the Saturday to Monday turnaround. Notre Dame's also on the Saturday to Monday turnaround. Um, Notre Dame's Saturday game is at home, um, so they don't travel at all, you know, which is good for them. But their Saturday game is against UVA. And Virginia is, as we just saw, really physical, really good. They will get you out of your comfort zone on offense. It's really hard to feel good about how you play against Virginia. Uh, you know, what a nightmare for any team, you know, to say nothing of a team that, you know, that's, uh, you know, not a tournament team to have a have a 48-hour period where you're playing Virginia and Duke, like almost certainly the two best teams in the country, uh, just you know, wow. Uh, I, I feel for Notre Dame and, uh, you know, don't be surprised if you see, you know, perhaps a little bit tired and dejected Notre Dame team on Monday if if Virginia's really, uh, really giving it to them hard on, on Saturday. We're getting ready to wrap things up here. It is time for our player of the week picks. Sam, I will go to you first. And by the way, not just the Virginia game. Remember, we also played uh, Syracuse earlier in the week. So in addition to all the highlights, Zion Williamson went for 62 points across the two games on just 36 shots. And he missed a ton of free throws along the way. That is that is crazy efficiency. Um Duke fans, we're, we've been talking about this all year, just about how how nuts Zion Williamson is. And and I think sometimes this happened last year with Marvin Bagley too, but don't lose sight of that. Um, he's he's an incredible talent and showed it again uh, in, in both of the games this week and most importantly against UVA. Um, it felt like he he turned it up to to another level and was able to, to kind of take over the game and, and be the driving force along with RJ Barrett for that win. So I'm taking, uh, I'm taking Zion Williamson for the efficiency and also um, for the unfortunate unfortunate uh, murder of Jay Huff. <laughs> Donald, who you got? Uh, I'm also going with Zion for a lot of the reasons that Sam uh, mentioned, uh, at least one execution, um, you know, 700 points, 350 rebounds, and and really, honestly, just getting to the rack and, and finishing while having the entire team, uh, opposing team, uh, hack him uh, on the way up and down um, and still making it. I, I think that that sort of uh, ability is something that we haven't seen in college basketball in a very long time, if not ever. Um, and I think we're really blessed to be watching uh, that. Um, but for the reasons that Sam mentioned, especially uh, the execution of Jay Huff, um, 
I'm giving it to Zion. So RJ Barrett this week had 12 assists and only two turnovers. And it, you know, like impromptu out of nowhere had to take over the point guard duties. Um, and, and I thought did a, a, a very commendable job with it, but it's not the week. <laughs> There's like not even any question about it. No reason to talk about it anymore than you guys already had. He's, He's just on another level, and there's nothing more to say than that. Um, and I'm pleased that the police have chosen not to arrest him for, for murdering Jay Huff. Guys, we move on from Player of the Week to Parting Shots. Sam, you've got a good one. Give me your parting shot. So uh, when I came back to Duke this past summer, as folks know from, I guess, listening to the show, uh, I quickly realized that there was an undergraduate Duke student whose name is also Sam Klein. And his name shows up first in the like internal Duke.edu directory ahead of mine. So he gets a lot of my emails and I don't get any of his. So occasionally people send him an email, think they got me. Turns out they didn't. He has to forward me the emails. He's been extremely nice about it. We haven't. Wait, wait. Are these emails from fans? Are these? No, 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 no. no. Just email, just <laughs> regular people from around school. You know, people need my email address, and you know, as if as if I like had a real job or something. And so people occasionally send uh, send new Sam Klein, who's an undergraduate student. They send him my emails, and he forwards them to me, and he's very nice about it. And and I've occasionally uh, responded and been like, Hey, thanks. You know, thanks again for you know, dealing with all this, I'm sorry. And like, I owe you a beer at some point. Um, I think he's a senior, so it's okay. Um, so fast forward to yesterday at the game. Uh, it turns out that uh, that new Sam Klein works in the Duke SID office and uh, has some, I, I don't know exactly what he's doing for the athletic department, but it was, it was something that uh, it compelled ESPN to specifically mention him during the game and put up a graphic with like his name and his hometown and stuff. And oh, Sam, so uh, you wouldn't know this, but it was because they were doing a Cameron crazy camp during the broadcast. And he was the guy in the stands the holding the camera. Yeah. He yeah. was the ca- Okay. So he was, he was on Cameron crazy cam. Yes, he was, running he was, he was the camp. camp. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, so Sam, he got a ton of screen time, by the way. Yeah. He got a ton of screen time. Uh, <laughs> Young man, I guess, is very uh, he's very into Duke basketball. But because his name showed up on the screen, uh, I then was sent a flurry of of screenshots of this moment, including from one from Donald, uh, a bunch of my current classmates, old Duke friends, um, other people watching the game. People were all sending this to me and they were like, what what is this? What's going on? You don't <laughs> study political science and. Uh, you already did undergraduate at Duke. Why are you doing this again? So anyway, I I emailed him. Uh, I emailed New Sam Klein this morning just to tell him that we're even now because uh, because I had to get assaulted <laughs> by all of his by all of his shoutouts. And uh, yeah, so apparently there's somebody who's like stealing my identity. He works for the athletic department. He's a big Duke basketball fan. Um, so we're, I'm just gonna have to sort all that out. That, that's the so we 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 talked about uh, mistaken identities earlier or or, or uh, flattery. And uh, this is this is imitation to a point where I'm not sure I can take it anymore. <laughs> well, you know, you guys got to you guys got to have a duel. One of you's got to go. Either one of you has to graduate. That's pretty much how it's going to work. Well, I think he I think he's a senior, so he's going to graduate this year. Uh, well, he's going to have to. I mean, it, it's it's going to have to happen before the end of basketball. If season, that kid like, comes back and goes to Fuqua, 
He'll no, probably I'll just update. enroll under your name. Like, yeah, yeah, I was here last year. If I, like, ever, if I ever get a chance to meet him, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> I have to tell you guys, there was a uh, – after I'd been at CNN for several years, there was a, a new employee who was also named Jason Evans, and he sort of hated the fact that, like, he couldn't get the, the best logins or email addresses and things like that because I already had them. Um, but what he really hated was uh, because I was kind of well-known around the company, people started calling him Dos like because he was the second Jason Evans, he hated that. And even after I left CNN, people still called him Dos. And he was just like, this is the worst ever. So uh, yeah, sucks to have the same name as someone. There there actually was a, there was a Samantha Klein who was a couple of years behind me at Duke. I didn't know her all that well, but I did get one yeah, somewhat inappropriate sorority email that was meant for her <laughs> once. Uh, and and to round this I, out, to round this out. I don't uh, think I can share that here. Donald... But say to round this out, um, I worked at General Motors as one of my first jobs. And um, luckily for me, uh, everyone knew my email address. Um, and the, unfortunately, there was someone else in the company, a company of over, you know, at that time, over 350,000 employees that was also named down the line. The good thing is it happened to be my father. So uh, <laughs> I was getting his emails to this day. I still get um, LinkedIn requests from people that he worked with thinking that uh, they think that I am him, which is incredible considering that my face is on my LinkedIn profile. So they would know I am not my father. Um, but uh, yeah, that has been something that, uh, especially GM, you know, even after I left, my dad was getting emails designed to reach me. Um, and, and, you know, I was getting emails, for, especially as, again, in a company of 350,000 people, two people were getting each other's emails uh, because we had the same name. Uh, Donald, uh, it is your turn to give us a parting shot. Now that we're done talking about how um, there are doppelgangers of us all over the place, uh, what you got for a parting shot? Yeah, so on Friday night, um, I don't know if you guys have seen these yet. Uh, and and Jason, I know you're kind of in the movies, but I, I was watching uh, a couple of documentaries that came out uh, this week. One, um, and they're both about the same thing. They're both about that fire festival. Fire festival, yeah. Um, and so I watched the Netflix version on Friday night, uh, early Friday night. I had nothing to do. Um, it was really a quiet night for me. So I was watching a few documentaries. So I started with that one. That thing was incredibly wild. Like the whole storyline behind how this was planned, how basically the, the Netflix version focuses on um, the setting up of the actual event. Um, of the failed event, the event that never took place, and really focuses in on the customers, the people who paid for this. And still, even you know, as this was approaching, where they're like, "Hey, we're not getting any information. We're not. We don't have a flight. We don't have this. We don't have that." They were still putting money into this while this guy was, you know, really using it to defraud everybody around him. Uh, was kind of incredible. And so I was fascinated about this. And I was like, you know what? I have to watch the Hulu version of this, which was uh, a, a documentary that came out on Tuesday. And they kind of brought it out to kind of um, put a damper in the hype that the Netflix version was getting. So I didn't have Hulu. So I literally signed up for a free month trial just so I could watch this documentary. Uh, and, and it was also fascinating because that focused more on the the guy behind fire festival uh, billy mcfarland and he, basically how he literally has led a complete career of defrauding people everywhere he goes and how this should have been a red flag for the moment he put his name behind it 
and it wasn't. Um, it, it was kind of fascinating to see how this whole thing took place and how so many people were involved in it and knew that it was a, a sinking ship and still uh, it still progressed to the point where it did, where they had, you know, seven, 8,000 people stranded on a island in the Bahamas with nowhere to go, no place to stay, and having been wiped out of a lot of their money. So uh, two fascinating documentaries. I would encourage you to check them out. Uh, the one on Netflix is called Fire, F-Y-R-E, uh, and the one on Hulu is called Fire Fraud. Um, and so that you, I would highly suggest if you have both uh, Netflix and Hulu to watch both because they're absolutely amazing. So for my parting shot, uh, I happened last night uh, I was very fortunate. I got to talk to a guy. I don't want to say he's a professional gambler. He's someone who gambles a lot. Let's just put it that way. Um, and and not in trivial amounts. Um, and he gambles a lot on college basketball. This is someone I get to talk to uh, occasionally. I, I guess you could sort of say he's a friend. Um, and we happen to be talking uh, about um, the, this college basketball season as, as, you know, not surprising about that. Um, and and we were mentioning the fact that the that there's a chance that Duke, despite losing to Syracuse, will remain the number one team in the country because because uh, we took out Virginia um, and because everyone expects Trey Jones to be back very soon and and everyone sort of discounts that Syracuse loss as a result. Um, and and I said I said actually I think that Tennessee Tennessee was number three in both the polls. Duke lost to Syracuse. Virginia lost to Duke. I think Tennessee will probably go to number one. And he he said he's watched Tennessee play a couple times, and he said, "Look, from the standpoint of a gambler, he said, as far as I'm concerned, the polls should reflect what you know who the best team is. Who would the gamblers bet on if they were at a neutral site?" He said, "I would not bet on Tennessee against Duke unless Tennessee was getting four or five points." He said, "You tell me Tennessee plus two, Tennessee plus three." He said, "I'm taking Duke every day and twice on Sunday." He said there's no question in his mind that Tennessee does not deserve to be number one. And he thinks, especially once they get Trey Jones back, that Duke is unquestioned the number one team in the country. He said the only team he's seen who is close to Duke is Virginia. He also he likes Michigan State. Um, he actually likes them better than Michigan. But but the polls are going to come out, and I think Tennessee is going to be the number one team. I'm just telling you that the money, the money would favor Duke. So that's my parting shot. I and like it. Gonna, Thank you. That's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 144 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, a podcast where we thoroughly enjoyed talking about a victory over the Virginia Cavaliers. By the way, guys, have you looked at the ACC standings lately? There are six teams at four and one. It is a jam-packed group of teams at the top of the ACC. Duke has three big games coming up in the next eight days, and we hope the Devils will get three victories and set ourselves apart from the rest of the conference a little bit. Um, until those three games are done, we are going to take a little break. So for Donald Wine and Sam Klein, I am Jason Evans. Thanks so much for joining us once again, and it's time for the Duke Band to play us home. Play us home.